Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Hot Talk Podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback, Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard show Suey winner and a former <laughs> heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks. I really hate to start the show off on a negative note, but I'm having that feeling right now. I don't know if you guys ever have it where like when you get in trouble and your mom says that you wait till your dad gets home or you feel something is going on if you might be in a relationship and and things just kind of start to go rolling downhill. That's how I'm feeling today with some of the news that I've seen over the last few days about possibly not having football. I've been pretty confident. I've voiced my opinion on that thinking that no matter what, we were going to have a conference-only schedule. And now, uh, with some of the things that we've seen, and even after this is released, this podcast is released, there's no telling what can happen over the next coming days. And so I'm pretty scared. Uh, Hopefully I'm wrong, but I'm not feeling too great about it. Thanks, guys, for tuning in to Episode 112 of the Hog Talk Podcast. My name is Kyle Sutherland, alongside my right-hand man, Porter Hayes. And we are also happy to be joined today by 4th and 16 podcast host Ellis Tolbert, which uh, we will get into some football talk with him here in just a second. But first, just going to recap some of the good things that happened over the weekend. On Friday, the schedule was released, and that's one of the main things that we are going to be talking about today. Uh, But Dax Courtney, the tight end from DeWitt High School, uh, 6'6", 210, announced his commitment on Saturday to the football team becoming the second commit of the 2022 class along with the Greenland High School defensive end J.J. Hollingsworth. So two in-state commits for the class of 2022, both Arkansas boys. And also the basketball team got their first commit for 2021, Chance Moore from McEachern High School in Georgia, out of Powder Springs, Georgia. I believe ESPN has him as the 44th overall player, but as the composite rankings go, he is 83rd four-star player, also coming off an injury, so that probably made him drop just a little bit, but had some pretty prominent offers, uh, Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Clemson. There was a, a very uh, a very long list of schools that he had to choose from, but it had been out there for a little bit that he was going to commit to the Razorbacks. And, and Porter, some news. I don't know if you happen to see this. Uh, Jordan Weaver, the gymnastics, gymnastics coach, uh, was elected to the USA Gymnastics Hall of Fame over the weekend. So uh, really good to see that. She's, of course, a 2012 uh, golden, gold medal uh, winner in the Olympics in London. Uh, so a very established career in gymnastics, and it's good to see her. I don't know if you had happened to see that earlier. Yeah, I, I got a chance to see it, man. And it's just it just seems like the whole program in a whole at Arkansas is doing really good. I mean, they, Hunter Yurchek should – get an a plus for his efforts because i mean he's he's gotten things that's turned around programs and get arkansas notable i mean gymnastics i mean they wasn't really you know a notoriety when it comes to the sec and you bring in jordan weaver now she's a hall of famer for her you know olympic gold medal you know you got the recruiting like we've been talking about with going into oklahoma and arkansas and getting all these recruits that they've been able to i mean that's kind of like me and my buddy were talking about yeah the kid might be a three-star, but what what does that really mean? Because, you know, if Alabama really offered him, well, then he automatically would have been a four-star or five-star just because of that offer. So, we, you know, you can't really hold too much weight when it comes to that three-star because he is from a, a smaller school in DeWitt. So, you know, it's awesome that they're starting to really get, you know, 
shut down the state and really get these players move over into Oklahoma because that's you know Sam Pittman's backyard, Grove, Oklahoma, which is you know right there around Tulsa area, you know halfway between Tulsa and, and, and Fayetteville. So things looked very promising. And then the recruit that Musselman got, I mean, a kid out of Georgia, you know, it's like kids are starting to see that, you know, Musselman put out that tweet about, you know, if y'all want to have more freedom and get to the NBA, this, we're going to give you the most freedom. So I think he's really starting to make headwaves in the, in the SEC. Well, that was the good stuff that happened on Saturday and Sunday, but now we'll go back to some of the negatives or at least negatives in terms of how tough the schedule is going to be. Uh, definitely the toughest in school history. Hunter Juracek, as, as you mentioned uh, previously, uh, the athletic director, he uh, mentioned in, in a statement right after the SEC released the schedules that this could be possibly the toughest in college football history. I think he'd have to do some digging to go back and check that out. But first off, um, we'll, bring, we'll introduce Ellis. Uh, man, really appreciate you joining us. I know that it's been a, a while since you and I have done a podcast together, and um so welcome and how are you feeling right now about the season uh just with what we've been hearing over the last few days well first and foremost you guys are the goats so go ahead and give it up to yourself appreciate you for having me on the show it's been a while but here we go <laughs> hey, hey anytime uh, we get another clemson guy in here man help me out brother yeah i know i'm outnumbered it's kind of crazy hey man gotta do it I, i'm i'm trying to remain positive I, i've tried to have that outlook the entire time but now as things things go on and news keeps breaking and sports writers keep giving the doom and gloom man it just seems worse and worse so uh, i guess this would be a great time to bust out ncaa 14 on the old xbox or playstation if you got it and ellis i'm kind of you know you're out there in acc country we're here in sec country but it seems like we're in the same boat that you know clemson's you know trevor lawrence has been you know, on board with playing. And I think the SEC is on board with playing and, and doing whatever, you know, they can to get this season going. So I guess it, it's really confusing to me that, you know, they're putting out schedules and then then they're coming out and saying, well, we're not going to have a season. Well, we're going to go to a non-conference uh, only. So what are y'all hearing out there in, in South Carolina? Because you got, you know, Clemson ACC and South Carolina SEC. You know, what, what's what's the buzz around the upstate? Well, I think the ACC was giving a little bit more credence to having a trying to have as much of a regular season as possible, uh, considering obviously the pandemic. But uh, you know that's evident with the adding the plus one to the schedule. I think they were expecting the SEC to allow another plus one as well for non-conference play. Clemson and South Carolina could end up playing each other. Well, that kind of got folded. Um, a lot of that has to do with the protocol differences. It that's what it sounds like. Uh, but, you know, it's so confusing because when you don't have your in-state rival, someone that's literally 98 miles, uh, maybe a little bit more than that, but about 120 miles away, you can't play that team. You can't even meet in the middle, but you can go and go to Notre Dame out in Indiana. I, I just don't understand how it works out. And, you know, with the scheduling, again, our non-conference, we had plus one. We already had Citadel. And Akron. Well, we all know that the Mac just recently just completely wasted away the whole season. So Akron's out the door and Citadel had half of their team not show up. So at this point, Clemson's kind of in a between a rock and a hard place trying to just find somebody to play. Well, and, and with the college football, you know, they're talking about these bubbles and stuff, but they don't realize like a lot of these D1 schools. I mean, they could charter their own planes. They don't have to go through the airports. I mean, they can make this as safe as possible when it comes to getting on a bus or getting on a plane. And and like they've said before, if both teams are tested negative and, and they keep on having these negative tests and they're getting on a charter plane and flying or driving to Columbia. I mean, I don't see, you know, where where this backlash is coming that everybody's so scared that we need to cancel a season you know so that's like you said you know they're not going to play south carolina but they can get on a plane to south bend indiana and go play there but to me i feel like college football could create a, a similar bubble like atmosphere and you know have the players go in through a certain gate to get on a plane and then fly do the same thing use the same plane to fly back so i mean that's i guess it's this confusing as when we hear we're not playing but yet we're going to play and now 
yesterday as I was working. Now we're hearing dominoes falling of now we're not playing again. Yeah, I mean, you actually hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, you know, coming out and saying that you're going to have the schedule uh, and, and you're putting all this effort into the marketing and branding and trying to get everything set up to just come to day. And uh, there's there's got to be something that they're triggered on. I don't know exactly what it is, but they are just afraid. Maybe it's a liability issue. I'm not exactly sure. I do know one thing, though. You can bowl these players. I mean, what is one thing that a lot of these major D1 schools have? A football complex. If you have a lot of these players staying in there, contained, not necessarily around a, the regular student body, having them take their classes there, any kind of medical issues they already take care of in-house. Like you said, when they're trying to get on the planes to charter to go out, they don't have to go to, for instance, Clemson doesn't have to go to uh, GSP. They can just literally charter their own plane without going through the terminal. So I think you guys are hitting on something, but th there's got to be something that a lot of these ADs and presidents are just very, very afraid of. Well, and I think what they're very afraid of, Ellis, is I, I think pretty much one of the overwhelming conclusions that people are coming to is the long-term effects and lawyers find it. They, let's say that down the road, uh, a student wants to file some kind of lawsuit because they got the coronavirus and possibly, Lord forbid, died on campus. And the family wants to come and, and file a lawsuit. Lawyers can always find loopholes, more than likely. And you would think that that might, and that was actually a question that I had. I was talking with someone about this. That might fall under, like, actually you playing, like a, a kid suiting up and playing might actually fall under like signing that form and, and under the could cause serious injury or death. I'm not really sure what all those guidelines would be, but I feel that just about everybody understands that they are probably not going to be safer. Even, even though that there is going to be a lot more students on campus, you're probably not going to be safer than you would be within the confines of the football program. However, if they aren't playing, then the, the university is not held liable. So I think that that's really what it what it boils down to at the end of the day, and that's what they've kind of begin to the talks have heated up over the last few days, and that could possibly be the reason why we're in this position. Well, I to also, add on to that, to add on to that, it's like, well, we live in the social media world. Let let someone, God forbid, pass away. I, I think mm -hmm. that's they're worried about the backlash, and you know, and in, in today's world. This the the COVID stuff, the mask stuff, the it's it's political. If you if you're for the mask, you're automatically over here. If you're against the mask, I'm not wearing a mask. You're over here. So it's not like if someone was were to pass away, you know, you would have so many people. See, you shouldn't have. You know, you're you're being stingy. You're doing. You know, and I think colleges and ads because they're the ones that are going to have to answer for this. Not the coaches, not the players, but these ads and these presidents and the all these administrative people, they're going to be the ones that have to answer and handle the lawsuits that has it. And I think that's where we kind of get clouded on, you know, we're wanting this season to happen so bad. And there's a lot of people wanting it to happen that, but if something were to happen to one person, I think that would change, you know, so I can see why they're being really hesitant on, on starting this season. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And, you know, we're starting to see that in general. I think the players and, you know, I don't think college football as a whole is united on the player front as who wants to play and who doesn't. Some players are looking at it as a, you know, it's a chance to still go out and play. You look at a guy like Darian Rencher running back at Clemson was actually brought up a pretty good point saying that, you know, if it's about catching the coronavirus, I can catch that anywhere. If it's about catching it during the football season, then, yeah, you know, let's, let's do something about that. But, you know, they're basically on the premise that they could catch it anywhere. So that's not a good enough excuse to keep them out. Uh, but then you look at guys like Micah Parsons, the best linebacker in college football, opting out. You're looking, uh, you know, a lot of these players are deciding that Rondale Moore, one of the best players in the country, decides to go out for the NFL. We haven't seen any others yet, but I am imagining that more and more talk with the AD is going to have these players considering possibly opting out, even though they said they weren't. Um, and then, you know, how do you get a 18 to 21 year old to sign a waiver that says, you know, we are not liable for what happens to you if you play this season, even though a lot of these players are begging to play and they're doing it on social media now too. 
Yeah, and we've been seeing that that hashtag let us play trend uh, trend really over the entire weekend. And I was going to bring up Micah Parsons, and I think you guys might have. I can't remember if it was uh, at the very beginning when we started or when we were talking off air. You know, Trevor Lawrence. I shared this on Facebook and Twitter about how Trevor Lawrence probably could have sat out after his freshman season and still be number one overall in 2021. He's just that good. It was just really comical to me. And I know that it probably was to you. And I'm not saying you guys are homers or anything, but I know as, as Clemson fans, it was probably pretty comical just l- watching people try to pick as hard as they could everything, all any kind of struggle he had last year. Because, look, at the end of the day, the guy's the greatest quarterback since Peyton Manning in college. There's just no question about it. And here he is. I mean, I saw him play in the All-American game in San Antonio his senior year, and even though the players typically don't do very well because you've got five days to mesh with your offense, he still had the arm that I knew that was going to just thrive in college. Just very smart, amazing arm, just has everything you look for. And here he is, without question, the best player in college football, and he is pushing as hard as anybody for his peers to be on the field. What kind of backlash do you see happening if they are indeed not to play? Not just I'm not saying from Trevor Lawrence's standpoint. I'm saying from just college football players as a whole. Uh, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I actually that's a really good question. Uh, I, I think that you know there's been a lot of things tossed around. I've even heard that the the commissioner. Uh, the president of the Pac, uh, the Big Ten, actually, excuse me, is a fan of trying to play spring ball. We all know that there's a lot of issues that go into trying to organize a spring ball season. It's just, it's tough. I think what you'll see is a lot of guys going to have to play before they thought they were. Uh, the 2021 season is going to be impacted. Eligibility is going to be weird. If there's no fall season and they're they're really trying to push it to spring, I, I think you might see college football looks totally different and i mean it's already going to be different now if they play it this year but we're, we're talking almost unrecognizable well and also the backlash i don't i mean if they don't have a fall season i, I don't think we're going to see the full effects of this backlash this could be five years down the road i mean stanford's already you know canceled 11 sports programs before they've even played this season yes so if you don't you you don't play football i mean there's going to be some teams that are going to try to hold on to these programs for you know one to two to three to maybe five years down the road but just the total the money the tv money the the conference money everything that goes in the smaller teams that get those conference payouts to go play a georgia or an arkansas i mean we're gonna we're not going to be able to tell the full effect of this and and Till three, four, five years when I mean, how many football programs are is the FCS going to even exist? You know, yes. we got to look at all these conferences. How, and I've kind of questioned myself, like, and, and wanted to know, like, you know, they're giving so much aid to. I don't know why the government can't. If they're wanting it to be about safety, why can't someone come in and, and give these colleges a some kind of financial aid so they're not having to push so hard to play because they know that they're going to lose so much if they don't. Yeah, that's a, that's a, I'm not qualified at all to answer that. You know, we, I don't, it's so tough to try to figure out why these things aren't happening. You think it would be common sense. And it seems like there's a push to get these students back in so that they can open rather than, I think the writing's on the wall. They're not going to get bailed out whatsoever if you know they can't get the students back in and obviously football is just a part of that casualty we all know that power five football pays a lot of the bills for a lot of these schools all the way and like you said you guys brought up a great point of this just you know the power five you'll see some residual effects of that like i said you might see some uh eligibility situations trevor lawrence and travis Etienne are gone if if this happens uh, we're not going to see them again and you're definitely not going to see travis but we're, we're talking about the Clemsons and the Alabamas and the Floridas and the USC's, but we're not talking about the UConn who canceled their season this year, but they were already teetering on potentially having to cancel the football program in general. You think about a school like UAB who just recently got back together. Uh, it's going to be hard for anybody to survive after this. And I think you guys brought up a very good point by saying that this is going to have residual effects uh, into the future. Yeah, Ellis, before we get into the, the Razorback schedule, I wanted to ask you about that. When Ty and I, the, the Friday host, 
We had touched on this a couple of weeks ago at the end of a podcast about the FCS possibly going to spring. David Pollock was in favor of it. I know there was a couple of other analysts that were as well, but it just doesn't make sense to me how it would work. I understand that they're trying to be safer about it and all this because they think that there might be a vaccine, but I don't even think there's going to be a vaccine by this spring personally, Uh, maybe next summer. Uh, That's completely unpredictable, but that's just how I feel as, as of now. But it's almost like it's just their it's a knee jerk reaction because the only other thing that seemed reasonable if they were going to do that let's just talk about the draft for a, for a quick second you're going to have to have probably a supplemental draft in the summertime they're clearly not going to be available they're still going to be playing their season during the draft while the FBS players are are going through that but then it's like you turn around right then after that you you end your season in June and then you're starting fall camp two months later. I mean, I understand these kids are young, but it just doesn't seem feasible to me. The human body just doesn't seem like it's meant to turn around and start playing another full season that quick. If we're even back to some sort of normalcy by that time. So it just it brings up a whole entire lot of questions, and I just don't see how it's feasible. Yeah, I mean, that's man, that's you hit the nail on the head, man, on that one. Uh, like I said, uh, with the the advent of bringing in spring ball it just throws everything off i know that the ivy league is starting to do that i know the mac was starting to uh because they canceled already they're thinking about potentially trying to put it over um over into the spring ball area but let's let's be honest with each other uh the ivy league guys aren't necessarily aspiring to be pro football players so the draft isn't necessarily a bigger deal for the vast majority of players that play at ivy league schools a lot of the guys from the MAC conference, the, you know, the, we're, we're not even talking about even HBCUs. There's a lot of players that won't get an opportunity because they're going to be passed up for the guys from the FBS just on principle. You won't even have film for those guys. The last game that they played is going to be their film, especially if they're upperclassmen. Uh, and then, like you said, trying to get ready for a draft. You're going to have, like I said, eligibility issues. You, you've got the new crop of players that normally come in early enrollees are now going to be in the season. <laughs> We've already seen some guys uh, reclassify. Tony Grimes of North Carolina did this year. Uh, they're going to have to immediately come in and be ready to play. And it's just, I, I don't know if they're ready for that right now. Well, and here's another, another take on it. You know, you got smaller leagues like the AFL, you got the XFL that try to do spring ball. What, what if these people at ESPN are like, man, how about we do the, use the FCS to somehow have college football year round? You know, they're, they're trying to find ways to make money to get out of this financial hole. They're like, well, if we move the FCS part portion of the schedule to the spring, now there's a chance that there comes all this revenue. Now we're talking about sports, college football year round instead of just in the fall. So, I mean, I know FCS is trying to move it to the spring, and it might not even be feasible. My take might not even be right, but it just had me thinking, like, what, what's popular in the South? College football. If if yes. we could somehow get college football year-round, I mean, the XFL is trying to do it. You know, The Rock just bought the XFL again, and they're going to try to reboot it. You've got the, you know, the AFL tried to do it, and they went bankrupt. So, hey, you've got, you got – you're using players that you don't have to pay. So how can you go bankrupt when you're not having to pay your players? It's just a, it's a crazy thought that just come in my head while we were talking about it. Yeah. And you're always going to have players to fund it. There's a lot of FCS schools. There's a lot of division two schools, division three. I don't know if you guys have watched uh, last chance. You, the last one, super good. Oh man, that was great. You know, Laney College, a lot of those guys could go straight to the XFL, the AFL. I don't know if the AAFL is going to be a thing anymore. I think that pretty much went away. Um, But, you know, there's always going to be a a spot for these guys. And let's not forget about uh, Arena Football League. So the NFL is not always the last stop for these guys. Sometimes it's just a, you know, it, it takes them a little bit longer if they even get there. So I like that idea. I'm for having spring football. I just don't know that you can do power five FBS football in the spring and then have those guys transition immediately to go into the pros. Um, I, I don't think the NFL is going to budge from that. I think they're going to stay their ground and say, Hey, we're, we're, this is when we're having the draft and that's that. 
We'll go ahead and transition into uh, the next segment of the Arkansas football schedule. Definitely when the SEC released it on Friday was not kind to the Missouri Tigers or the (laughs) Arkansas Razorbacks. I'll say overall from top to bottom, Ellis, that the Razorbacks definitely have it harder. But I think I would rather play because Porter and I and and all of us in our group text – we were talking about, and I think, and, and I do agree with with Porter. He had mentioned that Florida was a little bit overrated. I think they are usually just about every year. I, I've started to, I was a big Dan Mullen guy when he was at Mississippi State, but ever since he's lost Dak Prescott, I just haven't been that impressed with him. I think that Florida is going to be a good team. I just don't know that they're going to be what people have been giving them credit for. But I would say that I think in terms of the extra two games, Missouri probably did get the shaft a little bit more than Arkansas, but from top to bottom, the Razorbacks probably do have the toughest in the nation. And I know that might be Homer for me to say, but I think Trey Biddy from 247 Sports, uh, hogsports.com said it best. There was plenty of Razorback fans saying that we got screwed. I mean, we were even trending on Twitter, 17,000 tweets talking about the Razorbacks. And I think that Trey said it best. It's most Razorback fans are not trying to, pardon my French, bitch and moan and whine and gripe and all this stuff. It's more about just the blatant disrespect that you're coming off back-to-back two and ten seasons, and the SEC just slaps you in the face and gives you the two toughest teams on paper coming into the season from the SEC East. And that's how I feel about it. Now, I've loved the response from a lot of the Razorback players. Mike Woods, starting receiver, tweeted, if, you, if you're scared, go to church. You saw a lot of stuff <laughs> like that. So I, I love that. I think that Sam Pittman is definitely a guy, and a lot of these coaches on this staff are one of those that are going to be the type that say, plant your feet into the ground and next man up, anytime, anywhere, all, that, all those cliches. But it is no question that uh, I don't think that anybody in the entire country is going to have it tougher than the Razorbacks this year. I, you know, I was, I'll go on record and say that you guys know me. I I've actually said that I thought that with the previous schedule, I could see six wins with this team. I, I could feasibly say six wins, uh, with this, the advent of this and where they designated players, uh, the teams to play. I, oh man. Um, and you know, it's funny that it seems like they gave the two new head coaches, the worst of the crop. You know, Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri is new, and then you got Sam Pittman's brand new, and he was excited. I'm sure he's still excited, but he's a little less excited if he's, you know, <laughs> really looking at it. I, I, you know, honestly, I, it is what it is. Going into this season, you knew that you were going to be doing a little bit of a rebuild. You do have a veteran quarterback in Felipe Franks. I'm just kind of eh, on him, but you've got a lot of talent. Uh, in that quarterback room for some of the younger guys. And you have Rakeem Boyd. I really like the receiver group. And you always have a great tight end. Uh, Defense is my issue. And you're playing some of the teams that are a little bit uh, unbearable offensively coming in. I mean, you've got the draw of playing Georgia. I think Florida's Florida's going to be decent. I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, uh, you got Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Texas, A&M. It's just rough. I think, though, if you can just weather the storm, it's one of those deals where it's a it's a gauging level. You can see where this team is. He can make the right decisions as far as personnel. And then we can look at a successful 2021 uh, and going forward. Well, and my issue, like I have I have two things on that schedule. You know, one. I think SEC kind of wanted a storyline, making Pittman play his old team and <laughs> Franks play his his old team. So, but here here's the deal with with Arkansas. You know, you're coming up back to back two ten two and ten seasons. You you're the bottom of the West. So who are they going to give? You're, you're like the homecoming game in, in in high school is is the way I see it. Everybody wants to play the easy game on homecoming. I think that's a reputation as bad as everybody wants it to sound. You know, Arkansas is the homecoming game. And until they start winning, you know, you're not going to get any respect until you, yeah, you've got a good coaching staff, you've got talent, but it all comes back to what are you going to do with that? You, you got to start winning and then it will get better. But if you're going to continue to do two and 10 and you're right there with Vanderbilt, you're going to get treated like Vanderbilt. That's, that's, that is just the, 
the tough love truth about it when it comes to Arkansas and, and who they have to play. And with Florida, I mean, I kind of joked with my buddy Tyler Butler about Florida kind of being the South Carolina. But when, when we thought we were going to have to play South Carolina, there wasn't too much buzz about it. But now they flipped it and put Florida. Now everybody's saying it's the, oh, my gosh, they're going crazy about Florida. Being, well, South Carolina actually beat Georgia last year. I mean, <laughs> South Carolina has the talent. Florida has the talent. I mean, that's why I say they're kind of similar when it comes to the team. So that that's why I said what I said about the South Carolina, Florida. Because if you would have gave them South Carolina, it wouldn't have been nothing said. And I yeah. think, honestly, South Carolina's just as capable of beating Arkansas that Florida is, and, and vice versa. Arkansas is just capable of beating Florida as they are South Carolina. So that that game right there, now Georgia's Georgia. But when it comes to Florida and South Carolina, I, I think that they're going a little too harsh on the schedule based off just Florida being that other other team. Yeah, I, I mean, I can I can agree with that. I, I think that South Carolina is known to be that team that can jump up and snatch someone every season. They always beat someone they're not supposed to. Uh, and that's just kind of how they're made. I think South Carolina might be, and I'm not just ragging him because obviously I'm a Clemson guy, but uh, they are the most, one of the worst coach teams out there because they have the talent uh, on a lot of different years. They just don't know how to corral it. And this is why you see them beat teams like Florida, which is why I agree with Georgia. But this is why I agree with you by saying that I thought that maybe South Carolina is just as difficult to play if you're Arkansas than Florida. Now, if you're LSU and Auburn, that's not really the same conversation. You're actually a better team than both. But um, I, I think where where it's rough is that you added Georgia uh, on top of the other teams. You could potentially play four or five top ten teams. You know how the SEC is when it comes to rankings. Uh, and on paper, it looks bad. But if Sam Pittman can at least – corral the guys, get them to a good scheme. you you got to think about it. Kendall Bryce is going to be an unknown factor for the SEC. He hasn't coached in the SEC. Nobody's seen his scheme. Uh, and then Barry Odom is actually a really good defensive coordinator. He's not a very good head coach, uh, but that's why he's playing. He's back into his old role. And that's kind of where I thought why Arkansas is where they are now. You ended up getting a coach who is really good with the schemes, but not very good with managing the team. Uh, with Chad Morris, uh, but if you were to rewind this a little bit further, uh, we we can start seeing the downfall with Bielema, but it, it, it's really one of those things where the rest of the teams in the SEC West just started getting even more competitive. Uh, I remember there was a time where Texas A&M, people you know, could look at Texas A&M and go, eh, not really worried about them. Uh, now they're looked at as a threat. Auburn, it was a Jekyll and Hyde. Now they're looked at as a threat. It's just rough for Arkansas, but if they can, if they can just squeak out a game here or there, I think the respect will be there. And like I said, that helps build confidence for 2021. Uh, and you might see some surprising results. Well, and I always try to find the positive in every situation. And one thing that I really thought about was the 2008 season, Bobby Petrino's first year. You've got a lot of guys that are true freshmen that ended up being a part of some of the most successful teams in school history. And that year they had they played Alabama, got killed just like they do every year, got killed, <laughs> had to go to Texas, got slaughtered there, had to play Florida. The Tim, And they had, of course, Tim Tebow, Percy Harvin. They played number 23, Auburn. Even Tulsa, that, that was on Arkansas's homecoming, was ranked in the top 20 that year. And then they ended up beating a not-so-great LSU team, but that was just a great way to, to end the season in Little Rock. But I think that there's there's going to be a lot of similarities to this season, from that season to this season because you've got a very young team and arguably the toughest schedule in school history, which, I, again, I'll stop saying arguably because I, I certainly think it is. It is. And so there's really <laughs> just nothing but – that you can, I mean, you can't go anywhere from up from where they've been, and they're going to have a lot of lessons to learn from a competent coaching staff. I'm not saying that all the coaches on the previous two two years were all incompetent, but definitely the two coordinators and arguably the head coach was as well. I'm I, and I say arguably with him, with Chad because I don't think it was all Chad. Some people might scoff at that. Mm -hmm. uh, I certainly I just don't think John Chavis had his head in the game. Um, <laughs> 
Joe Craddock is now a tight not not to I'm not trying to trash him, but he goes from being offensive coordinator in the SEC to tight ends coach at UAB. That speaks for itself. <laughs> I, I was just telling it like it is. So I think that there is going to be a lot of lessons. You might go one and nine or at Lord forbid, oh and ten. But there's going to be a lot of lessons that these guys, this very young team takes. And they're going to really be able to use that moving forward and into their Razorback careers for the next few years. Yeah, that's why I'm preaching so much that it's more about the teaching lesson, engaging yourself where you are now and seeing what's going to happen for 2021. Because, I mean, honestly, you you guys know this. I am not a fan of Felipe Franks. I I think he's going to bring experience there, but he's not going to be doing much more than what he did at Florida. You got to think this guy had KJ, uh, KJ Tony and Van Jefferson and Kyle Pitts. He had all these guys around him and he still couldn't get it together. What I am excited about is that you're going to have a whole crop of young guys that can learn and possibly even get in because the season is looked at as, hey, it is what it is, right? You got KJ there. You got Malik, promising guy. You might even get John Steven. <laughs> you know, <laughs> somebody might get some playing experience. So I'm really excited about seeing what Pittman can do because we know he can recruit. Obviously, we're seeing that happening now. Uh, and I, I don't think anyone expects Arkansas to come out and especially with this new revised schedule to even win more than four games. But at the same time, uh, you know, <laughs> this season is so strange already. I don't think it hurts as much to, you know, not have a very, very successful season. I think I think they're going to have a lot of experience for 2021-22. All right, well, so we'll go through the schedule here real quick. As they announced, the season starts on September 26th, at least as it stands right now. We'll see how that goes moving forward. The dates have not been set for each individual game. If nothing bad happens with they announce any kind of cancellations later this week, we should hear the days and and some of the times that we'll get the kickoffs. But we'll go through what we have as of now. And the first one that they have on the list is Alabama. Now, I'll go ahead and give uh, mine, and then I guess uh, Porter, you can go, and then we'll just kind of go in order. And so Alabama is going to come to Donald W. Reynolds Stadium not a chance in that one. Hopefully we are just, as we always say every year, we're competitive Um, right there. I've got that as a loss. I think I I would imagine you guys probably agree with that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) And then the next, yeah. So these, these first two, we can go through pretty quick. So then the next one on the list is LSU. LSU of course lost a lot from maybe arguably the greatest team. I've been using arguably a lot in this show, but possibly the greatest team in college football history, definitely up for debate. They lose a lot, but they're still LSU. They've still got tons of talent and uh, it's probably, they pretty much reloaded. So yeah, I'm definitely putting that one as a loss as well. Yeah, man, I don't know. Arkansas always plays them tough. So, I mean, it's like, (laughs) I know it's, and that might be sunshine pumping, you know, to say it, but it's, it always seems like they play LSU tougher. LSU and Texas A&M, the two teams, they always play the toughest when it comes to. Do they win? No. But, I mean, I think with how much LSU's lost on the coaching staff and the players, Arkansas has a chance to make it a close game. You know what? I'm going to piggyback on that a little bit. And, you know, Kyle, you were talking about arguably. I think that's, I think that's fair for that one. Uh, I do think that might have been the best offensive team that we've seen. I do not think by any chance that was the best defensive team we've ever seen. So, yeah, arguably the best team is that's definitely true. Now, I'm going to go with kind of what Peck said. I, I you got to think about this. The first two seasons when everybody's discombobulated, you're, you're back. Uh, you didn't really have a spring. You didn't really have summer. Fall has been condensed. Uh this might be the earliest time to really sneak up on someone. I still see it being a loss, but I see it being interesting and Sam Pittman getting a little bit of respect out of this one. All right. So the third one we've got, this is where we can start kind of reasonably debating Ole Miss. I had initially said, and Ellis, I don't know if I'd talked to you about this, but Porter's heard me say it time and time again. Actually. Yeah. I said it on on your show when you were covering the sec that night. I had us winning all of our non-cons minus Notre Dame and beating one of the Mississippi schools. I think that's what Dax had said. Dax Childers had said it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, Dax is your producer, right? I know he helps you out. Uh, facts, yeah. he's uh, or, or facts, I'm sorry. Not yeah, facts. he's a young guy. He's a good one. <laughs> yeah, man, he's really smart. Yeah, so facts, facts and I had talked about it. He had said three and nine 
Uh, and that's about what I had said as well. Maybe four wins, but it, but the SEC fourth win that I had was was one of the Mississippi schools, and I think it's more reasonable that uh, we're probably going to beat Mississippi State, which we'll get into that here in a second. Mm-hmm. But Ole Miss, man, they've got Matt Luke left some some pretty pretty good players left for Lane Kiffin. They're not recruiting that great. They do have two four stars for next year, which you know that's they're not going to be on campus for a while. But I'm not too impressed with the coaching staff overall that he put together. I think that this is one – I'm going to go ahead and put it down as a loss, but I think this is definitely one that is certainly reasonable for fans to think that we can win. Yeah, and I, I'll go with, you know, we're talking about that LSU game. If if Arkansas can find some way to make that game competitive and, and they get that fire where they can believe they can win a game, I mean, say they – Within 14 points, say I mean they compete, and you know LSU scores a late game to make it a 14 to 17 point win, and then they're going into an Ole Miss game. I think they could they have a chance of pulling it off because I mean the Mississippi Stools, I mean they're both going through coaching changes and a lot of off the field issues as well. You know what I'm saying? I mean it's like Ole Miss, you know, and then the Egg Bowl and all that stuff that happened, and then the changes of the coaches, and then with everything going on nowadays, it's just it's hard to get. I would say if a team was going to get behind their coach more and be Mike Leach in Mississippi State. So if I were to say which one of the Mississippi Mississippi schools that Arkansas would beat would be would be Ole Miss. All right, so this one's tough for me. I agree with you guys with the head uh, with the coaching staff over at Ole Miss. I'm not a fan at all. Uh, I think Jeff Levy is just going to be brought on just because he's in the family of Lynn Kiffin. He actually is family member with him. Uh, and we all know who's calling the plays in that situation. So offensive coordinator is useless. And I am over DJ Durkin, not a fan of him oh, at all. Yes. <laughs> so I, I hope people put up a thousand points on him. I, I agree with Peck too. I think that if you get that spark, that confidence, you're going to play better. You're going to have two games under uh, assuming Felipe Frank's uh, you're going to see what your receiving core is like, and you're also going to see what happens with that running back core, too. Uh, the only problem is that, and we'll talk about this, too, both of these often, both of these Mississippi schools' offenses are going to put up a bunch of yards. Uh, John Reese Plumley, the quarterback at Ole Miss, <laughs> I don't know if you guys see this, but the guy has to run a 4-2-40. He is extreme. Mm-hmm. He was leaving all of the LSU guys. Uh so if you can, if if Arkansas's defense can finally get it together, and, and play some good cohesive ball, if they can play complementary football. I'm going to give this one a win for Ole Miss. I mean for uh, Arkansas. I think you can beat Arkansas. Uh, Ole Miss. I, excuse me. <laughs> I hope. I hope because I just absolutely cannot stand Ole Miss. That's probably my most hated school. So I would. I would love it. I just. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But the next one we got up, uh, the Tennessee Volunteers. And Tennessee is a really intriguing one in all of college football. They've got 17 returning starters. Of course, had probably the best turnaround of any team last year, losing to two teams at the beginning of the year they should not have. And then they reared off, like, what, eight out of nine, eight of their last nine. And so a lot of talent coming back. Uh, J- Jeremy Pruitt's done a really good job recruiting and just get, getting that team's confidence back up. That one's going to be a home game as well for the Razorbacks, but uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with another loss. So I, so far I've got them at zero and four. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be tough on it. I mean, just, I think the biggest hurdle is if they keep on pushing back when they can really put pads on and get this playbook installed, I think it's going to be that that's just going to make it longer for they get comfortable with the playbook and, because there's only so much you can do in, in, in film rooms and, and walkthroughs. I mean, they need to be full speed hitting and getting these routes down, getting the defense defensive looks. So, yeah, I got it. I got this one as a loss. Yeah, I got this one as a loss. And, Kyle, you brought it up. It was a good point. Uh, those guys are much more experienced team-wise uh, than Arkansas right now. They just have a lot more going on. Their defense is, in my opinion, going to be one of the better ones in the SEC. They got a lot of guys that are playing some high-level football over there. Uh, yeah, this one's tough. I'm going to go ahead and give that one a loss. So I think I got one and three, and you guys are 0 and 4. Yeah, I'm at 0 and 4 right now. And then the, the next one, Porter, you're at 0 and 4. 
correct? Yes. Okay. Okay. So yeah, we're at 0 and 4 right now. And then the next one we got another interesting one. Uh, the re- well, I say the return of Chad Morris. It's an away game. The Razorbacks go to Auburn, so they'll be playing at Jordan Hare Stadium. I don't think Chad Morris is really going to be calling the bulk of the plays. I don't care what Gus Malzahn says, but uh, that's going to be one you know that Razorback fans, especially a lot of these players, have circled on on their calendar just because they get a chance to to beat their old coach. Some that, that it seemed like a lot of the guys that he brought in really liked him, which makes sense since he recruited them. But there is plenty of, of players on this roster that really want to take it to Auburn. But Auburn is just it, – it feels like outside of beating them in four overtimes in Fayetteville in 2015, Gus has just always had Arkansas's number. Yes, he's typically had be- – pretty much every year has had better teams. But, I mean, he has just taken Arkansas to the woodshed the majority of the time that he has been coaching there since 2013. So I've got this one at another loss. We've got the Razorbacks at 0-5 right now. <sighs> Yeah, it's good. It's man, it's gonna be a rough year. Yeah, I just, uh, I keep on going back to the the preparation, but yeah, trying to. But then again, we need to see what happens with the defense and how they can, you know, get set up. And a lot of what we seen last year with the Razorbacks was, I mean, the talent wasn't as, but I think they gave up. They were just done with the coach. So I'm excited to see what they can do because they have the talent to win some of these games. So, yeah, I got it as a loss, too. But I think this is where they start clicking. I, I think this is where they start turning around their season. Uh, so I'm going to go with a loss on this one. I actually think that the Chad Morse is going to be the X factor to, to Auburn being similar to Clemson in that 2011 season. Uh, you know, you're going to have a young guy in Bo Nix who didn't really have that impressive of a season last year. But you bring a guy like. Uh, Gus, uh, Chad Morris in to already run a very, very similar offense. I and mean, you got to think Chad Morris learned. They kind of bounced off each other uh, in those Texas days with Gus Malzahn. So it's very similar. And we already we always know that they're going to be bringing something defensively. Um, it's almost like the Clemson connection now. You know, they already say that Auburn is uh, Clemson without a lake. Well, now you got Kevin Steele and Chad Morris as your coordinator. So. Uh, I got to do this one as a loss. I think Auburn's probably going to beat him up pretty bad. Just a quick side story. I don't know if I've talked about this with either one of you guys, but so uh, Gus was obviously in Springdale, Arkansas. Chad was in Stephenville, Texas, and apparently was not doing very well. People were putting for sale signs in his yard. That is a big thing in Texas that they do for struggling coaches. And yeah, he did go to Springdale back and forth and he learned Gus's offense. So Gus, Gus bailed him out then and kudos to Chad. He became at the time, especially when he got to Lake Travis and had Garrett Gilbert and won back-to-back state championships. Mm-hmm. Ha- he was the best Texas high school football coach, which is saying a lot. Uh, so this is the second time that, that Gus will be bailing him out. So we'll see if it works out for him in that regard. But the next one, I've got some positivity. This is Mississippi state at Davis Wade stadium. Uh, Ellis, I don't know if you know this about me, but I can't stand the air raid offense. Um, I think that it is just, I don't think it's going to work in the end. I'm not trying to play. And I always say this, I'm not trying to flex the muscles of the sec, but I just don't think it's going to work game in and game out. You saw Mike Leach. He's going to get a 10 or 11 win season every nine, 10 years. He's going to be a consistent, probably seven, eight game winner. But when you saw them play a stout defense at Stanford or a stout defense at Oregon, plenty of times, that was when their offense struggled some. I don't think that it's going to be that's I, I like KJ Costello. He passed for I think in 2018 he passed for 3,500 yards. So he's probably as you mentioned, Ole Miss and Mississippi State is going to throw the ball around. They're going to put up some yards. They're going to put up some points. But Mississippi State's defense I think is might possibly be the worst in the SEC this year. It uh, hopefully is. Arkansas. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they'll take that title from Arkansas. But uh, I'm going to have I'm, I'm going to get this as a uh, the first SEC win for the Razorbacks since 2017. The last time that they they won an SEC game was at Ole Miss. Thank you, Connor Limpert uh, in overtime, came back and, and won. I think it was like 37 to 36 or something like that. But I think they're going to get their first SEC win since 2017. It's going to be on the road in Starkville, Mississippi. Yeah, I think it's like you said, when when B-Limit took over, you know, they're used to the air raid and then they went to his slow, you know, trying to run the ball, get the big offensive line. Now, like what 
Mississippi State. Now they're trying to install this air raid offense, and I think it's going to take a longer time for him to get his offense going as it, you know, Pittman and, and Browse is going because a lot of people run something similar to what Browse wants to do. You know, Mike Leach just wants to put five people out there and do screens, and so you got to have different kind of athletes to be able to get the screens going and all the the slants and that five wide stuff. So I'm with you. I think this is the first win at Starkville. And another thing we got to, we got to factor into these, these away games are not going to be true away games because even Mm -hmm. if they do have fans at these points, it's going to be 15, 20, 25%. So you're not going to have that. You're not going to have that true cow. I mean, you might hear 15 cowbells instead of 20,000 now. Yeah. You know, I, I am certified narrate offense, so I can't really talk too much away about it. Um, I, I think it's going to work. So I do think it's going to work. I think they're going to have what I like to call the Oklahoma effect. So you're going to beat up on teams that are bad, but when you start playing the better teams, like you said, you saw that with Stanford, saw that with Oregon, you even saw it with Washington. Washington had a lot of guys up there uh, when he was at Wazoo it starts to, you know, you can scheme for it. And if you have one, think about the division you're playing in. You're playing in the SEC West. Uh, you have a guy like Derek Stingley over there. I don't care what receiver you pull out. I don't care what you do. You're not going to beat that kid. So uh, I think what's going to happen is because they have such a terrible defense, they're going to have an offense that's schemed to get them yards. They're going to do it. I don't care who it is. They're not going to be very good. I I, st- I had Mississippi State being the worst team uh, in the SEC this year. So I, I think this is a win. I, I do think this is a win. I think they beat both Mississippi schools. And I said that on my show. I think they beat both Mississippi schools. And it's a wash. So, Porter, we're at one and five. And then Ellis, you're at two and four. So that's yep. where we're going. And now we got yes. the Mizzou Tigers in Columbia. Now, Eli Drinkwitz, uh, first year as a P5 head coach, second year as a college head coach overall, another Gus Malzahn disciple, another uh, Arkansan. Was, uh, I believe he was born and raised in Alma, and then he played for Arkansas Tech, and he's made his way through the coaching ranks, some on Gus Malzahn's Auburn staffs, and then also at Arkansas State. Um, I, I'm really – see, I, I think that overall, especially with Barry Odom knowing this team a lot – and with just Arkansas hopefully being motivated to finally beat them when they shouldn't have lost to them so many different times, I, I'm I want to say this is going to be a win. But as I said on the show on the Friday show a couple of weeks ago, I just I'm not going to give us the win against Missouri until I see it because it just seems like they have our number. Since they've been in the SEC, we've played them every year since 2014. We beat them in 2015, 2016. We should have beat them. That was really that game in 2016 was the beginning. Mm-hmm of the downfall of Arkansas to, to this point where they're at right now, gave up that 21 point lead. And then you also saw give them a, bi- a big lead in the belt bowl. So I'm going to have to go with a loss on this one. I just think Missouri just has our number right now. I'm going to have to go with a win on this one. I just think Barry Odom, I mean, as soon as Pittman called him, he was already headed to Fayetteville. I mean, that dude's got a bad taste in his mouth. You know, I think of all the games he wants to win, I think he wants that Missouri win more than any of them. And you got a guy who's less proven than Pittman and Drinkwitz. You know, I mean, you go to he, – he's one of these mid-major guys that has a really good season. Now let's give him a – look at P.J. Fleck at, at Minnesota. You know, you have one really great season at a, at a mid-major. Now we're going to give him the, the keys to a, a big-time school. So we're going to see what he's made of. But I just think that with the talent that Arkansas has and you took their head coach slash defensive coordinator away from Missouri and you have him at Arkansas now, I think that one's penciled in as a win. Yeah, you know, (laughs) Missouri is the strangest team in the world. Uh, They go into the SEC and win the East twice. And that is strange to me. (laughs) <laughs> so that's yeah. why I kind of want to quell people on the conversation. If Clemson could get into the SEC, would they win it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a good chance. <laughs> yes, they would. So, I'm, I'm, I'm SEC born and raised, and yes, they could yeah. win it. And then, you you know, Peck brought up a good point, too, about uh, Drinkwitz. Of course, he took over at Appalachian State, had a great season, ended up winning the Sun Belt. But you are bringing, taking over from Scott Satterfield, a guy that was already really good 
at App State. We know how good he, coach he is. He went to Louisville and turned them around immediately. So while I think that Drinkwitz is going to be a good coach, he is a nightmare of a coordinator. If you're a Clemson fan, you happen to be listening to this, you have nightmares about NC State for the few times that he was there. I do not think that they have the right team yet to beat Arkansas. I think this one is a 50-50 game. Uh, they're breaking in a brand new quarterback, whereas Felipe Franks has some experience with a Kendall Browse type offense being under Dan Mullen. I'm going to give this an Arkansas. I got three wins. The next one, another uh, polarizing one. So you got A&M. It, right now it has not been official. I know Ross Bajork, the A&M AD, had said that it's going to be in College Station. That has not been official. It seems that it, it has not been named as official yet, but it does seem that Hunter Juracek is not going to do that unless we do a home and home. And then, of course, the contract for Jerry World is up in 2024. But either way, um, I still think I'm just going to go ahead and say it. That's another team that has Arkansas's number and they've got more talent than Missouri. I know that they're typically overrated. Jimbo really needs a good year this year to live up to that contract or even get close to it. So I'm just going to go ahead and pencil this one in as a loss as well. Yeah, and I'm basically going to say the same thing you do about Missouri. As, as te- Texas A&M, to me, is how you talk about Missouri. Until Arkansas can beat Texas A&M and get that monkey off their back. I mean, they're more talented. they got a better coach. And it seems like Arkansas has even given their best shot and still come up short. So in a, in a game where Jimbo's got an established team, and you're coming in with Arkansas and, and a lot of question marks on defense and offense. I just don't see how they're, they're going to pull this game off, whether it be in Jerry World, Fayetteville, or College Station. Yeah, I'm going to have to end my positivity boat. <laughs> I was on that for a little while. I got to go with Texas A&M. I think they are uh, surprisingly going to be a surprisingly good team. Surprisingly good is funny because that only means usually one or two wins more than they normally do. So I'm guessing nine. They're not winning nine in a 10-game 10, 10 SEC conference. But uh, I think they are too, too experienced, both offensively and defensively. The coordinators have been there for a while now, Dickie and Elko. And then Jimbo is one of those guys that can really uh, call up a play. Somebody that I'm not exactly sure that Pittman has had experience scheming against before. So uh, I've got to take this one as a loss. And then the next one, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. I'll go ahead and say, I, I think you guys know that I'm going to put this as a loss. It's going to be in Fayetteville. But um, I, I do think that it's going to be competitive. Because, again, we don't know the dates of like when it's going to put, especially if this is maybe like towards the back end of the season. You get, you get that monkey off your back and maybe get that win at Mississippi State or against Ole Miss, whoever it may be. Um, at Porter, as you mentioned, yes, it's a, it is a publicity thing about how uh, Sam Pittman was coaching there for the last four years, but we've seen that Kirby teams can be susceptible. Another thing, Porter, you mentioned is South Carolina coming into Georgia and beating them. So I don't think that we're going to win it, but I think that is going to be a, a very surprising game. And there's going to be people around the nation talking about, wow, the Razorbacks really did give Georgia all that they wanted. So maybe about like 14 points or so 14 to 17 point range, but definitely still a loss. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely that's possible. It is going to be a loss. I mean, you can catch them on the surprise and, and catch them on that week where they're looking ahead. I haven't really seen Georgia's schedule because you always got to think of, you know, who are they playing the next week? You know, who are they playing after Arkansas? So, they, I mean, you catch them on a game, say, that, say per se they're playing Alabama the week after they play Arkansas. They could be looking ahead and we could sneak up on them. But Georgia's just too talented of a team. I can't. I, I couldn't put a, a win. You know, I couldn't put my name on a win this year because it's just Georgia's really talented. I mean, they got a stud receiver in Pickens, and I mean, you still got a good quarterback. You got running backs, and I just, I just don't think they're ready for to pull off an upset yet. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to agree with this one. I actually don't have the mindset of it being super, super competitive. I think it's probably about a 21-24. I think a lot of people do look at that South Carolina game and say that you know Georgia is susceptible to losing. But uh, you have to remember that a guy like Will Muschamp has familiarity with Georgia. And not saying that Sam Pittman doesn't, because obviously Sam Pittman was the reason why they got a lot of those good recruits there. He's been an awesome offensive line coach, which is why I'm excited for Arkansas in the future. But 
they brought in an X factor in Todd Munkin. If Todd Munkin can get that offense instilled and Kirby Smart allows him to do it with a guy like Jamie Newman, you're not going to see Georgia could potentially be the LSU of last year if they do it correctly because they've got some of the best talent. I think their defense is going to be the best defense, either top five or the best defense in the country next year, this this coming season. And, and like I said, that offensive factor, I, I think it's probably going to be a bad game. I'm going to give this one to Georgia. And the final one, the Florida Gators, another one for some publicity. Felipe Franks, obviously the big headline will be him going back into Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. And we, we talked about Florida a little bit earlier. I'm still – uh, I've got to get that, give that the loss. I mean, Porter, that was a good point you brought up about Mississippi State, about how, yes, they're not, it's, there's really not going to be such thing as home field advantage this season. Um, Arkansas certainly has not known about that for quite some time. But, uh, yeah, with the, with the amount of fans that will be, if they even let fans in at all, it's not going to be very many. So um, that regard, yes, it's going to be good. Uh, it won't be as noisy. But I'm definitely going to give this one to the Gators, and so I have the Razorbacks finishing one and nine. Yeah, uh, this is a tough one because I mean, I kind of say that you know I don't have that. Not saying I don't have a respect for Florida. I just always think they're always overrated. They're always rated at like eight or ten, and then they just somehow screw it up where they they just flop. Do, does Arkansas beat them? No, but I think they can make this a, a competitive game, like you said about the Georgia game. Um, there's a lot of unknowns about how this season's going to play out, uh, the home field advantage, how that's going to go. I mean, you can have. I mean, this and this could affect the away team more because you know now you know you don't have the crowd to, to concentrate on. You're just focusing on the game. So um, it's going to be good for Franks to be able to go back and try to get some revenge. I don't really think. Trask is that good of a quarterback? Is he better than Felipe Franks? We don't know that because, I mean, he got – it was almost like how um, Texas A&M quarterback, you know, he lost his job off of a injury, and then the same thing now happened with Franks. He had an injury, lost his job. So we really don't know what what his mindset's going to be going in that game. And he might ball out and just have a killer game, and they surprise him. But, but if I was to – put a win-loss on this. I'm going to have Arkansas winning two games this season and put the Florida game as a loss. I Did you guys say this? if this is played at BHG or in Reynolds? It's, it's in Gainesville. Oh, yeah, okay. So here's the thing that I've been thinking about. Does anybody know that if they say that no fans happen, uh, say, for instance, later in the year, because we're ta- we're, at this point we're talking December, right? that they say, you know, we've kind of figured out what's going on, the coronavirus, we're going to allow some fans into the stadium. I mean, if that happens, then, yeah, that's an automatic big, big, big disadvantage for Arkansas. But I, I tend to agree with you guys. I think it's going to be a loss, but not because I think that Florida is going to be so far ahead of Arkansas right now. I think that Florida is going to be really good. And to answer your question, yes, Kyle Trask is much better than Philippe Franks as far as game management. Uh, he's a little bit more safe with the ball, and you saw that come out with LSU. You saw him. They, they just look a little bit more aggressive, not as many uh, accuracy issues. However, I think that Felipe Franks is going to have something to prove. you got to remember, this is a guy that's been booed in that stadium in a Florida Gator uniform. So he's going to come back with something to prove. I don't think they get it done, but I do think they're going to make it interesting and everybody's going to be going, whoa, maybe this Arkansas team is going to go into the future uh, on a good note. So I've got that one as a loss, but a very, very competitive game. So you've got them at three and seven, Porter. You got them at two and eight, and I've got them at one and nine. So I, I, I'll, hey, man, I'll take three wins. I'll take that all day. <laughs> so, well, that's the schedule. And uh, real quick, before we get out of here, I just want to talk about how we all kind of got connected. It just shows the the small world, not just overall, in, like on our earth in general, but in the sports industry. So uh, my good friend Grant Long from college, he does sports content. I usually was he covers all of college football. I was on his YouTube channel weekly for the Razorback games, which was pretty tough. He would bring bring uh, Ellis on for Clemson content and then i happened to see that one of those and i brought ellis on to my previous podcast tex hogs and we did an entire show about chad morris which uh yeah that was interesting (laughs) 
but uh, and then and then Porter got his intro into the sports industry from a guy named Tyler Butler who owns Sports and Culture out of South Carolina and Greenville area where Ellis is also from. And so uh, we all pretty much just got connected that way. I got connected with Porter because of the, I was close with the guys with the, from the Hog Talk uh, before I joined up with them. And all those things just kind of came full circle. And now we we all talk pretty frequently. And Ellis has become a good friend of mine over the last year or so. One of the smartest minds that I have ever talked to, especially with X's and O's. I'm not really great with X's and O's. So sometimes when, uh, Ellis, when you talk about that stuff, I'm a little bit out of touch. But uh, <laughs> But yeah, you can catch Ellis on 4th and 16. Uh, he does that. You can look him up on Facebook or Twitter. Those are Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, correct? Yes. Yes, at 7 p.m. Eastern. A lot of great content on there. Covers all SEC, ACC, college football in general. A lot of great stuff on there. So, Ellis, it was great talking with you, man. Great catching up. And uh, definitely, hopefully, we'll see a season. But either way, we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon down the road. Appreciate it, man. If we don't have a season, let's just suit up and go out there and play some flag football. Let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> uh, I, might pull, I might pull a muscle, but I'm in. So. Well, that'll do it for episode number 112 of the Hog Talk Podcast. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. For Porter Hayes, Ellis Tolbert, my name's Kyle Sutherland. We will catch you guys next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube